It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. In the United States Congress, power often comes from seniority. The old saying goes, uh, wisdom is to the old, energy is to the young. Well, the United States Congress has never been older. So is it time to talk term limits? Or is there wisdom to be found in the ages? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, let's break this down just a little bit. Uh, As you look at the makeup of the current Congress, particularly in the United States Senate, it has never been older. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Is it good that we have people who have long experience and some good perspective and some wisdom? Or are they just too tired? (laughs) Have they been there too long? And where is the separation in terms of power? If power is coming from seniority, is that the right thing? Uh, so we called in our inside source, Jason Perry from the Hinckley Institute of Politics at the University of Utah. He is also the vice president of government relations, as well as being the director of the Hinckley Institute. Uh, Jason, how are you doing today? Oh, boy, it's so good to be with you. I'm doing well. Awesome. So as you look at the uh, makeup of the Senate in particular, uh, of course, you have uh, Diane Feinstein uh, from California, who is 88. Uh, then you have a, a host of folks like uh, Chuck Grassley, uh, who will be 88, coming up here in about a month or so. Uh, uh, Richard Shelby from Alabama is 86. Uh, Jim Inhofe's 86. You have a number in their 80s. Uh, Patrick Leahy, a Democrat from Vermont, uh, also uh, cracking that uh, octogenarian number there. Uh, and then you have a host of uh, Bernie Sanders knocking on the door of 80, Mitch McConnell, 78, uh, you know, on, and on down. You don't have very many. You have to go way down the list out of those 100 senators before you get anybody in their 50s. So as you look at, at the makeup of Congress, is, is it just that we're uh, we're getting old or are we getting wise or do we need to look at something different? Uh, or does the wisdom come with the age? I think that's the idea. But but it's two separate things as you're talking about, Boyd. Because interesting is you know you would hope there is some wisdom with with the with the age, but uh, the, the age is what really goes with the seniority in Washington D.C., which is what you just said. The whole place is run by seniority, which is different than wisdom necessarily. It's just who, who's there the longest that tends to be. Uh, what benefits you the, mo- the most. And so I guess that's just the reality of it right there. And there are a lot of folks there, as you just mentioned, there for a very long time. And it's interesting because many of them did start in their 30s or their 40s or their 50s when they got those spots, but there is no churn really in a lot of those spots. They're just people that have been in those seats for a really long time. Yeah, you mentioned the seniority system. And, and just for our listeners, you know, you look at a lot of those committee assignments. Uh, of course, a lot of those are based on seniority. And once you kind of get in, 
then it becomes this interesting challenge for voters because then a, a senator can say, well, hey, if you can vote for whoever you want, but if you don't vote for me, then you're going to lose power because you're going to lose me as the you know head of this all-powerful committee. Well, that, that's exactly how it works. And you and I both know and had conversations, for example, with Senator Orrin Hatch when he was in those those uh, committee had those committee assignments in those positions. He was president pro tem, uh, for example, the first time we've had that from the state of Utah. And I know you, I, I mentioned this because you and I both talked to him at some point that it took 42 years for someone to build up enough seniority to be able to have a position like that, which Senator Orrin Hatch did. And so you look at a state like ours in the state of Utah and you say, well, you know, how does, you know, does that benefit us? And it, the reality is for him, it really did. Having yeah. someone and and the seniority paid off in terms of an assignment like that. And I, I talked to a, a few members of, of Congress and I said, "What do you think about this term limit idea?" And they said, "Great, as long as everyone else does it." <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it does have to be a universal thing. You, you can't uh, you can't have just the people who are for term limits term limit uh, because then they'll keep leaving and the, those that are sticking around are going to keep sticking around and uh, and have that power. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing to me. I used to say that the most dangerous, uh, most combustible time, I guess, in the in the Senate chamber uh, was not when there was a heated argument, but it was when we had late night votes because uh, you'd have some of those uh, more senior members uh, who, uh, you know, would put on their nightly uh, icy hot treatment <laughs> and then come back and you'd add that to a, a little, uh, you know, maybe an after dinner drink or two. And uh, suddenly it was very combustible on the floor of the Senate. Uh, but but it makes you wonder, uh, both in terms of term limits, but in terms of how we decide those committees, uh, it doesn't seem like we're we're making them based on who's best or who has the interest or the passion uh, about something. But just as you said, who's been there the longest? Well, that is how these committee assignments work. I mean, that is that is the system. And we talk about you know the pros and cons of that but that is just the reality of it sometimes we get members I'll, I'll give like the utah perspective where you have like a blake moore who represents that that first congressional district which is so closely tied to hill air force base and you know they, they you do try to get on these committees that um that will impact your district in some way be some kind of benefit but that's that's the interest i express it i try to get on it but these committees are completely controlled by people who have been there for a very long time. You know, so there's the sometimes you got the political payouts, that's how you get on the committee. But if you want to run that committee, set the agenda for that committee, well, you're gonna to have to be there for a really long time before that happens. Yeah. And uh and that kind of leads to my next question for you, Jason. And that is as you as you look at how this continues to roll, the, the biggest surprise to me when I first went back to Washington was just how often the battles really weren't the left and right Democrat versus Republican battles. It was really the people who were in power, the people who had been there the longest against everyone else. <laughs> that, is, that is right. I mean, I mean, what this is this is the old Machiavelli idea right here. You know, the, the best way for a young prince to become an old prince is to get yourself in tight inside these specific <laughs> positions and then fiercely guard those positions over time. You know, so you have these up and comers that you start watching and, you know, with a different approach, different base and those are potential risks to that old prince. And, uh, and because of that, it's really hard to break into the system itself. It's not really designed for, you know, these, for people with younger, you know, the younger generations or the people who are just trying to get these ideals up. 
not really designed for those just to percolate up. It's because people in power tend to want to stay in those positions. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one last uh, quick question for you. So as we look at some of these uh, younger members of Congress uh, who, who, again, are coming from a different age and, and many of them are saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there for 12 years, maybe 18 max, uh, and then I'm moving out. Uh, is there it seems like with social media, with the way things have changed, that there is a way. Now, you look at uh, what uh, Senator Romney's been able to do, not with any seniority at all, but, you know, with a platform. Uh, do you think we'll start to see a shift in that or a crack in that kind of old dog, old guard mentality where some of these younger uh, folks like a Tim Scott or a Senator Sass or uh, you know, some of these younger members of Congress could start to break through and maybe uh, recast uh, what that system looks like. Yeah, so it, it is a matter of time. You know, you, some of these people, some of the, the older guard are in positions where they are more vulnerable. Some of them are getting to the age where it's not even practical, if you use that, that phrase, for them to run again. And so there are cracks, as you, as you, as you, as you just called right here, the kind of openings. And the, the, one way or another, either by age or by election, some of these younger groups of potential candidates will start making their way up that chain. And we're seeing some of it in some parts of the United States as these millennials start sort of coming of age, you know, the 25 to 40 year olds that are starting to get to those positions. They're, they're starting, of course, at the bottom of that ladder, but, uh, but positions are on, you know, on that ladder are starting to come available. And I think we will see those. Yeah. We are going to see that. It's inevitable, even just by nature of the process. And, you know, as people get older itself, but they will boy, eventually age out. Yes, <laughs> they, they will. That just that's a reality. And these these will open up to the new groups of people are coming. But the reality is uh, these these groups of people too. the voters themselves are looking for some of these new candidates. Yeah. I, I think back if you go to like 2020, about 55 percent of the voters were Gen X or younger. Yeah. You know, so. This group is coming. It's, it's a big, powerful group. Yeah, it is. Well, it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, Jason Perry uh, from the Hinckley Institute of Politics at the University of Utah. Always appreciate your very young, very fresh perspective uh, <laughs> on all of this. Thanks for joining us today, Jason. Thank you, boy. Okay, bye. <laughs> all right. Uh, again, I, I think it is time to really have a hard look. Uh, I, I witnessed this when I was back there. There were some members of Congress, bless their hearts, uh, that uh, really struggled uh, to keep up. And uh, some I question whether there were some days that they really shouldn't have come to the office. Uh, and so there is a, an issue there to, to think through. Are they really capable? Are they in a good spot to do that? Do we need to look at things like term limits? Uh, do we as voters need to look harder and say, is this really who I want? Am I buying into this idea of power based solely on seniority? Or do we really believe uh, that it can be different in Congress? Uh, much more to think about. Stay with us. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.